theyeshiva.net. Some of you have been struggling for years, and you went through many, many treatments, procedures, promises, hopes, and as a result of that, it's so hard to maintain joy, spiritedness, simcha, bitochen, emunah. There are many difficult emotions. There are many diverse experiences from one extreme to another extreme. And how is one supposed to deal with all of this? How are we to confront it? And it's here that I think it's very important to emphasize a few points. Let me begin with point number one. There is no emotion that you have to be afraid of. And I want to explain to you what I mean. A human heart is filled with a lot of emotions. We get into different moods. Our body experiences different sensations. Sometimes we feel we're up there. Sometimes we feel we're down there. Let's quote David HaMelech in Tehillim. That safer that captured and captures the full gamut of human and Jewish emotions for thousands of years. Every Jew finds himself or herself in Tehillim. David is called Neim Zmiris Yisrael. He is the composer of the Jewish people, the sweet singer of the Jewish people. And that's why in Tehillim, a lot of us say Tehillim and we don't really understand what we're saying because it's an ancient, rich Lashon Kaidish Hebrew that many people don't understand, extremely poetic and complex. But I always say it's worthwhile to when you say Tehillim at least once in a while to take a Tehillim with a good Yiddish translation or a good English translation or a translation in a language that you understand and grasp or Tehillim with a Mephirish a commentator that you can understand and grasp. And even if you say one capital, but you look into the words and you you try to understand the words and relate to the words, you'll see it's a very different experience. And sometimes one capital, you could sit with one capital for an hour or two hours or three hours. It's really in a very, very powerful. So there's a line in Tehillim, capital kuflamites. David HaMelech says, Im esak shamayim shamata. If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I go down to the abyss, I go down, down very, very low. If I lay down in the shoil, you're there. If I acquire wings and I go to the end of the ocean, over there, you also hold my hands. I say, I say, darkness encompasses me completely. Everything is dark. Even darkness doesn't eclipse you. And night is as bright as day. Darkness is like light. You acquired my kidneys. You already protected me when I was in the womb of my mother. 
Now, there's a lot of emotion in this capital Tehillim, but I want to bring out first and foremost one aspect. And that is David HaMelech did not deny the fact that sometimes I go up to the heavens and sometimes I go down to the Sha'oil, I go down to the abyss. And this is true about our hearts. Don't be afraid of any of your emotions. Sometimes, as difficult as the emotions are, what makes it more difficult is our need to repress it, our need to bury it, our need to deny it, not only to other people, even to ourselves. We start feeling guilty and downtrodden and broken because we're having these emotions. And I'm telling you, there's not a single emotion that you ever, ever have to be afraid of. You are larger than all of your emotions. You are not your emotions. Your soul is infinite and it can contain everything. So when you're having an emotion, don't feel the need to judge it, to demonize it, to denigrate it, to mock it, to make fun of it, to repress it, to feel guilty about it, to deny it. You're good. You don't have to worship the emotion. You don't have to let the emotion control your life and follow its dictates. It's an emotion. In Tanya, it says that emotions are like children. You know when a child starts screaming. You remember when you were a child? A child starts screaming. Yeah. You don't have to judge the child. But you also don't always have to take him seriously. A child says, take me to the hospital. You don't have to rush to the hospital. You have to check out the boo-boo and comfort him. Emotions are like children. They sometimes scream and holler. But the worst thing is to be afraid of a child or to judge them. You don't have to. The same is true with all of our hegation, with all of our emotions. The one important thing to remember is that there's no emotion inside of you that you have to be terrified of, that you have to be afraid of. You could contain it. You can live with it. You can have it inside of you. You can share it with people you trust. You can share it with yourself. You can share it with your soul. You can share it with your loved ones. You could share it with people who you really could share your honest emotions. And it's part of being a human being. And you can share it, of course, with the Rabbi Neshalaylam. And that's what David HaMelech is saying. Sometimes I'm up there. And you're there. Sometimes I'm in a very, very difficult place. And Hineka, I can still talk to you. You're still here. Sometimes I feel like I'm at the edge of the ocean. As they say. Over there, your hand also holds me. Sometimes I say I'm in complete darkness, confusion, uncertainty. I could see nothing. There's no clarity. I don't know what will be tomorrow. It will be in a week, a month, a year, 10 years. I am completely in darkness. And David HaMelech says, I understand, you're in darkness. Don't be afraid of your darkness. God is not afraid of any of your darkness. You can be there. You could stay there. And you could reach out from there. Because wherever you are, right now, that is your honest place. And an ugly truth is much greater than a beautiful lie. The Gemara says in Masech Yumad of Samachtes that the Yirmiya and Daniel would not call Hashem Hagiber Vahanaira. They refused, even though Moshe calls the Rabbi Nishalalim Hakel Hagadl Hagiber Vahanaira. Yirmiya Hanavi and Daniel, in their Navu, they emitted those words. 
And that's why the Anshek Nesas Agdoila, called Anshek Nesas Agdoila, Sheikh Ziru, Atara Liyoshna, because they put back the words Agibra of Anaira. And you know why Yirmiya didn't say Agibra and Daniel didn't say Anaira? Yirmiya said, Aye Gvuraisav, where's Hashem's Gvura? Look, look what they, what Gentiles did to the Beis Amikdash. And Daniel saw how the Jews were exiled and killed. Daniel was from those who went into Gullus and Bavel. He said, Where's Yinaira? Where's Hashem Awesome? And they wouldn't say it. But they knew that Moshe said it. If Moshe says, Where did Yirmiya, Navi, and Daniel have the audacity not to say these words? And the Gemara says, and I quote, Because they knew that Hashem is true, they would not lie. They're not going to say words that they can't relate to, that they feel is not true, because they know that the first and foremost important quality in a relationship with Hashem is what? Honesty, MS, integrity. Don't act. You don't have to put on smiles for the Rebbeinah Shalom. And after I'm falsh. Say, yeah, everything is beautiful. Everything is beautiful. Hear me and Daniel knew the definition of Hashem is MS. Hashem Elohim, MS. Chaysam HaYishal HaKadosh Baruch Hu, MS. The moment Yiddishkeit is not about MS, it's worthless. The moment Yiddishkeit and Avaidus Hashem and our life is not about truthfulness, about honesty, about integrity, it becomes worthless. It's irrelevant. It's inconsequential. I once was speaking to a group about this. I shared, I shared a little story I once heard. There was this uh, young girl who was very turned off by religion and she came to her uncle and her uncle was a uh, a very religious man, he had a long, long beard, and he was very zealous. And she looks at him and she says, Uncle, I want to ask you a question. If you had to choose between God and truth, which one would you choose? And the uncle doesn't even skip a heart's beat. He says, what's the question? Of course I would choose God. And she smirks because that's the tragedy. The moment you can say answer that question and say, of course I'll choose God over truth. It means I'm not worshipping God, I'm worshipping some type of idol. If the definition of Elikim is not Hashem Elikim Emes, what is it? It's worthless, it's not worth the piece of paper that it's written on. So garnish with garnished. The definition is Ani Hashem Elikim Emes, V'yatsi, V'nochem, V'kayim, V'yashem, V'nemon, V'ov, etc. Why? Because as the Gemara says in Mesech HaShabbos, Chaysomesh L'Kadosh Baruch Hu Emes, the seal of Hashem is truthfulness. And that's where a relationship with Hashem needs to be based on truthfulness, on honesty. A relationship with yourself needs to be based on honesty. Hashem doesn't want fake emotions. He doesn't need you to be fake, to be all smiles. Hashem wants your real heart, your authentic, authentic heart. So there was once, uh, <coughs> there was once a Jew who came to the Rebbe Maharash. Rebbe Maharash was the fourth Chabad Rebbe. Rebbe Shmuel, the Rebbe Rebbe Shmuel was the son of the Tzamach Tzedek. He passed away, Tofre Shmem Gimel, 1882. I heard this from Ayid, an Alte Chosid, his name was Reb Mendel Futefas, and he knew the Jew. So this is Mamish, I heard it from the person who heard it from him. And he said that he once went into the Rebbe Maharash, the Rebbe Reb Shmuel of Lubavitch, and he asks him, and he says that he, he can't daven, daven sich nicht. you know, there's niggin, Essen, Essen, was momentan, Essen, Davin, sich nicht. Oh, Essen, Essen, schlafen, schlafen, was momentan, Essen, Ledin, sich nicht. Essen, Davin, daven sich nicht. I can't Davin, I can't, I don't feel anything, I'm not inspired. And the Rebbe said, the Rebbe opened up, he was wearing, I guess, his, his, his Sartuk, his Kapote, his Bekesha, whatever he was wearing, and he opened it up. 
and he unbuttoned his shirt, his shirt, and he had the talus cotton there. And he took his finger and he pointed to his heart, actually, and he, he like opened his shirt to this Jew, and he, he touched his heart, his physical heart. He opened the button so he could get to his heart. And he said, Rachmane liebe boy, der Eberster will a heart. And physically touching his heart, he looks at this Jew and he says, and Mendel used to say, this yid had geflackert with a fire. His heart, his heart was just a different heart. What was the Rebbe telling him? The Rebbe was telling him, what do you think davening means? Davening doesn't mean that you become a new person that you think you're supposed to be. Davening means whatever is in your heart. Whatever is in your heart. Di Herzlah. So somebody once asked me, what did he have to open the button? <laughs> he could have said the hearts, the hearts. Because that was his whole point. His point was, this physical heart, this heart that pumps the blood and experiences all those physical sensations, you know, the butterflies in your chest and in your heart and in your stomach and the anxiety and the stress, right? We feel it, we feel it. We feel it in our neck. We feel it in our back. We feel it in our chest. We feel it in our heart. We feel it in our blood. Hashem wants this heart. Don't be afraid of your heart. He's not afraid of your heart. Whatever is on your heart, share with them. Share with them in all honesty and share it with people that you trust. Share it with yourself. And here is what I share with you. Don't be afraid of any emotion. That itself is a very, very powerful truth. I'm going to say, oh, this is what I came to hear. And I'm telling you, I'm not going to say dayenu. But this is a very powerful principle in life. I know in my life, and I think it could be helpful in many of our lives. The moment you can really embrace and respect every single emotion that you have and not run from it, you can already operate from a much better and healthier and happier and more calm and less anxious and more wholesome place. Because a lot of our anxiety comes from the anxiety over the anxiety. A lot of our anxiety comes from the anxiety over the fact that I'm feeling this way and I don't know how to deal with it and it takes me over and it right away drives me crazy and I have to get more angry or I have to get into more distractions. I have to eat more or drink more or go again to another WhatsApp or go to websites. I'm busy distracting myself because of the pain that I'm feeling from the fact that I'm feeling pain. And the truth is, you're fine. Don't worry about it. So sometimes you may have a very strong emotion towards your spouse, towards your wife, towards your husband, and it could be very, very strong. And then because it's so disturbing to you now, you're busy covering up or getting angry or distracting yourself from it. Can you actually acknowledge it? Can you actually embrace it? Can you make space for it? Can you let it be? And it doesn't mean it has to run your life. It just means you can look at it. And then when you can look at it, you can actually make a choice to go in a different direction. You can make a choice to speak and have a conversation about it rather than crush it and repress it. And then it actually controls you because since you're not conscious about it, it comes out in all types of weird ways, controlling you much more. Rule number one. Rule number two. (laughs) In these situations of Corona, by every couple, but especially with you guys, with everyone here, 
And I don't mean you to specify you versus other people, but I mean especially with challenges that so many of you face. It is so important that your marriages are functioning in a wholesome and harmonious level. And I know it's not easy because husbands and wives don't process the corona the same way. And husbands and wives don't always feel about infertility the same way. And husbands and wives have different perspectives on the world and different experiences. You don't have to fix your wife. You don't have to fix your husband. But you have to be able to listen to each other. And you have to be able to respect the other person's position, even if that is not your perspective, even if it's not your view. It's like two people driving in the same car. There's the passenger seat and the driver's seat. And you're looking out from two different windows. And you see different views, but you're driving in the same car. And he says, hey, look out the window. So interesting. And she says, no, I see something else outside the window. You don't now try to convince her that what she's seeing from her window is wrong or convince him that what he sees from his window is wrong. You know why? It's going to be futile. You're just going to make this conflict worse. You know what you do? You understand that you have two windows, but you love each other and you trust each other. And therefore, you have to respect and acknowledge the fact that truth in a marriage is not always objective. It's subjective. I once heard from a great marriage therapist. He said, A machleikas for the sake of heaven endures. A machleikas not for the sake of heaven doesn't endure. Why? It should be the other way. Machlekes l'shem shemayim doesn't doesn't endure. It's not kayim. And he said something very powerful. He said, whenever there's a conflict in a marriage, that's l'shem shemayim soifel is kayim. Whenever there's Hashem in a marriage, the Gemara says in Saitadaf Yudzayin, Rebbe Kiva said, Ish v'isha zachu shchina shruya b'neim. Whenever the shchina is in a marriage, the Hashem shemayim, the machlekes is soifel is kayim. You could live with the machlekes. You could live with the fact that we don't have the same window. When it's ain't l'shem shemaim, ain't soifel this guy. We can't live with a machlekes. I have to prove that you're crazy, you're a shaita, you're a meshugana, you're an idiot, you're a narcissist, you're a tzedreta, you got it wrong, you're suffering from your mother, your father, your zayda, your baba, you're an addict, you're traumatized. I can't live with the fact that we disagree. Machlekes ain't l'shem ain't soifel this guy. We're now fighting who is right. You're right, I'm right. No, she's right, I'm right. No, And that's what we're busy doing. In a better marriage... You learn to disagree with love. And what does this mean? It means that, yeah, we have two perspectives. We're different personalities. And you learn to see the world and understand that this is how my wife sees the world. This is how I see the world. And you know what? We may continue arguing about this again and again. But the most important thing is that we trust each other. I don't need you to agree with me, but I need you to be able to be here for me. I need to know that you have my back and you need to know that I have your back. We have to be able to lean on each other. We have to be able to trust each other. We have to be able to support each other. It doesn't mean we're going to see eye to eye on everything. That's perfectly fine. Trust me, there's things that it's just different personalities. Women are different. Men are different. Every individual is different, especially when it comes to questions of Christ, especially it comes, are we going to go do this again? Are we going to go handle this again? the way people relate to experiences. Don't try to convince your spouse that she is wrong or he is wrong and you're right. Just be curious. Listen to them. Respect them. Wonder about it. Yeah. And most important, don't judge it. You don't have to put them in a box and say, oh, you're crazy for thinking this way. Don't, don't do that. Don't do that. 
let them share their experience. What you could do is share your experience and learn that your trust towards each other must always be more important than everything else. And therefore, in communication, instead of telling your husband or your wife, oh, you're wrong, this is ridiculous, this is absurd, absurd, say something else. Say, I want to share with you how I feel about it. And now you tell me how you feel about it. So instead of judging the other person, talk to the other person about your experience. This is how I feel about it. This is how I deal with it. This is how I see it. And you tell me how you see it. And you know what? There's two windows, but we're driving the same car. And we ultimately want to reach the same destination because we're here for each other. Agreeing with each other is not the most important thing in a marriage. The most important thing is, you know what neman means? Neman means getreishaft. How do you say getreishaft in English? Loyalty. I know that you're loyal to me. I'm loyal to you. We're dedicated to each other. I can lean on you. You can lean on me. I can come home in the evening and know that I can start sobbing. You may not be in the mood of sobbing. You may see it from a different perspective. But if this is what your wife is experiencing... Just be there. Contain it. Don't judge it. Contain it. And the same is true with the husband. That is so crucial. Which is why I come to the next point is so important, especially now, to take time every day away from the WhatsApps, away from the responsibilities, away from work, and just spend time with each other. If you live in an area where you could take a walk, I think that would be great. 30 minutes a day, 40 minutes a day, an hour a day, as much as you can, but no phones. Just take a walk and just schmooze. And the schmooze doesn't have to be about treatments and about crises and about a particular issue, what we're doing or what we're not doing. It's just bonding. It's just sharing. It's just connecting. It could be about meaningful things and it could be about meaningless things. But meaningless things is the way that you bond because you're talking about each other. You're talking about your emotions. And it's very important to know, you know, they talk about five love languages, that different people have different love languages, meaning that different people feel your love through different things. For example, there are those that for them love means spending quality time with each other. It means that I spend consistently time without any distractions just to to fabring together, just to be together, to hang out together. That's one language of love. For other people, that's not the primary language of love. The primary language of love is words of affirmation, complimenting you, sharing my praise of you, my appreciation of you, sharing your beauty, your greatness, your virtues, your mildness. That's what does it for me. That's what makes me feel that you care for me, that you love me, that you have a special relationship to me. Some people don't care for that, but for some people, words of affirmation are very, very meaningful. Other people, their love languages touch They appreciate so much physical touch. For some people, it may be nice, but it's not so important. For other people, the love language is acts of service. Acts of service. You know, you do something for me, right? You do something for me. It may be, darling, you want a coffee. Can I bring you a coffee? I know you like like an iced coffee. Can I make you an iced coffee? I want to do the dishes tonight for you. Whatever it is, an act of service for them, it means so much. When a wife does it or a husband does it, it means, wow, we love each other. And for some people, it's gifts. It's buying a gift, a small gift, writing a card, buying a gift, etc. It's so important to understand 
and share with your husband what your love language is so that you could be here for each other. Which brings me to another point, and that is, you can't always expect that the other person knows what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. In good marriages, we communicate it. You have to tell your wife, this is what I'm feeling, this is what I'm going through. And the wife has to share that with the husband. Don't always expect. Sometimes people could know on their own, but very often they can't know on their own. So this is so important to be able to communicate these things. You know, this is what I'm going through. This is what I need from you. And I'm mentioning all of this because in such a time, it is so valuable when the marriages are close, especially when you're alone. You don't have families. You're not home with a lot of lot of people in the house. You have each other. So it's so important that you should be able to communicate and gain each other's trust because you are the two people who are the foundation of your life. And that matters so, so much. And you have to remember something, that a marriage by definition is a relationship that is not stable. <laughs> and I'll tell you what I mean. It's not like, you know, you have a brother. If you don't see your brother in three months, right? Three months later, you could pick up where you were three months ago. But with a marriage, it's not that way. It's constantly changing. Ratzoy and Shaiv, because a man and a woman, it says in Lukutotari, the Balatanya writes, that a man and a woman are two opposites. She is Aish and he's Mayim. This is what he says in Shihashirim. She's fire and he's water. And fire and water don't coexist. Fire and water are two opposites. And that's why it takes a lot. You need the Shechina Shruya to be able to create this miracle of synthesis. So you can't expect you get married and it's just, that's it, happily ever after. That's a myth. By definition, there's Ratzay and there's Shoiv. You're on and you're off and you're on and off. The whole all the halachas of Taris HaMashpach, of Mikvah, are built on this Nekuda. Eish and Mayim, Kiruv and Richuk. The Bekabalim say that it's like the moon, you know, two weeks the moon waxes, and two weeks the moon wanes, and then the moon disappears, and then there's a Meilad Halavana, and there's Chiddush Halavana, and Rish Chodesh, Hei Masidim Lizchadosh Kamoisa, it's the Pchina of David Malchus, David Malach Yisrael, Chai Vekayim, we say by the Lavana, there's Aliyahs, there's Yeridus, the moon is not stable, the sun is stable, the Gemara says in Rosh Hashanah, Shemesh Yodam Avoya, Reich Layodam Avoya, that's where we have in English a word called a lunatic. <laughs> A lo- you know what a lunatic is? A lunatic is somebody who follows the Levana. Yisrael, daimon levana, omayin levana. Lunar, lunacy, lunacy, make meshagas. The Gemara says, the orbit of the moon is very, very complicated, very complex. And a marriage is like that. A marriage doesn't remain on one foundation on Azoygetus. The Mazitcha Magad says that the non-Jew came to Hillel, to Shammai, and said, Lamdeni kola teira kula regalachas. So he teaches the Mazitcha Magad, what's that al regalachas? Gemara and Shabbos lamed alaf. Teach me the whole Torah on one leg. What's that on one leg? Al regalachas means I want one foundation and it should always remain in the same way. I don't want my Yiddish guide should ever change. I should always remain etched al regalachas. The same regal, the same Yisod should always be there. He says, Dachvay ba masa binyin. The creation doesn't work this way. There's night, there's day. And Hillel explained to him, Well, you don't want to be done to you. Don't do it to anybody else. The reason you became a Ger is because another Jew had a nephila and went down. So you came up like a seesaw, like a pendulum. Now you never want to go down. It doesn't work that way. So a marriage, there's vayi erev and there's vayi voiker. 
There's the Rechuk HaLavana and the Kira HaLavana. The Levana wanes and the Levana waxes. And you can't expect it just to be stable and like it was yesterday, it's today. It doesn't work that way. You always have to put in fuel. You always have to water water the garden because by definition, you're dealing with two hafchim. So if you just let it go, you know what happens? Fire and water? Either the fire evaporates the water, or the water extinguishes the flame. You leave a ma- na- marriage to its natural devices and you drift away. Azoy, 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 azoy. You have to put in the daily avoida. To bring yourself together. How? How? By sharing, by communicating, by reminding each other that you're there for them. By reminding each other that you can trust me. So I say today, more than any other time, you must invest in this relationship. Which now brings me to the next topic. And now I'm going to discuss a little bit our emunah and our relationship with God during this time. There is an extraordinary Torah of the Baal the Balshamtiv says, the Gemara says in Tainis Dav Chafamid Beis, the Balaza came into the Beis Medrash and he said, A person should be as soft as a reed and not as harsh and tough as a cedar. So the Balshamtiv explained, I think it's brought and told us Yaakov Yosef in the name of the Balshamtiv. He said something so beautiful. He says, one of the things that happens to many people is they become kosher, they become harsh like a cedar when it comes to avoidus Hashem. In other words, this is the way I serve God, and this is the only way I serve God. And you become inflexible. He says, avoidus Hashem means, I always have to ask the question, what does Hashem want from me today? And what he wants from me today may be the opposite of what he wanted from me yesterday and what he might want from me tomorrow. Rach kekana means I'm flexible, I'm pliable. I am not addicted to my religion. Sometimes religion becomes a form of idolatry because I don't worship Hashem anymore. I worship the structures of my religion. Like you see today with minyanim and mikvahs and bamitzvahs and going to stores, certain people decided this is how I serve God. The whole world can scream. And every doctor can tell them, you're not allowed to. No. I know better. Why? Because in his mind, it's impossible that he'll be wrong. What do you mean? This is what I've been doing for 60 years. You're going to tell me that everything was a mockery? And it's so hard for people to understand. Don't turn Hashem into an image. We don't worship images. We worship an infinite God who doesn't have an image. God is imageless. And because he doesn't have an image, he doesn't look the same every day. There was once a Yid, a very fascinating story. There was an elder Yid, an older Jew who survived the Holocaust, and he was in Auschwitz. And he became older and he fell ill, and it was before Yom Kippur, and the doctor saw him and checked him out and told this Jew that you're not allowed to fast on Yom Kippur, it could endanger your life. And he tells the doctor, I don't understand you, in Auschwitz I fasted on Yom Kippur. In Auschwitz, where a morsel of bread was worth more than $10 billion. Because $10 billion would do you nothing. Unless you can get bread for it. And a morsel of bread might help you survive. And yet, in Auschwitz, I said to myself, it's Yom Kippur. I'm going to resist the natural instinct for survival, which every person has. And I'm not going to eat. And you want that here in Israel, he's living in Israel, here in Israel, in a free country, in a free society, where I'm held, where I'm good, where I have what I need. I should eat on Yom Kippur. So the doctor, 
And he told him, why don't you discuss it with a Paisik, with a Rav that you trust? And he went to one of the famous Rabbonim of Yerushalayim, is a Mechaber of Menisvarim. I happen to know him, a great Jew, a great Talmud Chachim, Nebuchadnezzar Farkash. He wrote the Svarim, Tara Kalacha, Shabbos Kalacha, Chalamoyed Kilchasai, and many other Svarim. A Yid from Yerushalayim, for many years, but told us, Aaron Chassid, Emissary Yerushalayim, a Yid, his wife is a granddaughter of Rabbi Amram Bloy, and Rabbi Kusil Farkash listens to this Jew, and he says, What's bothering you? He says, It doesn't make sense to me. In Auschwitz, I fasted on Yom Kippur. <laughs> And here in Eretz Yisrael, I'm not going to fast on Yom Kippur because a doctor says I shouldn't fast on Yom Kippur. I should eat on Yom Kippur. So the Farkashlita told him a very profound idea. And he said, let me explain this to you. You know, sometimes people serve Hashem, mitzvah samashem alamada. They serve Hashem out of habit. You know, I brush my teeth in the morning. I also put on tefillin in the morning. I put on my pants in the morning and I daven shachris in the morning. It's just routine. The Navi calls it mitzvahs anoshim ulamada. You know, like a robot. You just do it like a robot. This is what I do. And that includes Yom Kippur. I eat fast Yom Kippur. You fast on Yom Kippur. Why? Because that's what a Jew does. Hashem is trying to test you. Hashem wants to see if your fasting on Yom Kippur is coming out of habit or it's coming because you want to connect with Hashem, because you want to do the right thing, because you want to be connected to Emes Havaya La'olam. How does he do it? He sends you a doctor who tells you, you're not allowed to fast on Yom Kippur, you have to eat on Yom Kippur. And here we see, if you're going to continue fasting on Yom Kippur, it's obvious the reason you fasted on Yom Kippur is not because Hashem wanted, it's because that's your habit. And even though now the doctor says that you have to eat, and we know the Torah says, you have to listen to the doctor, you don't care because you do it for your habit. But if you fasted Yom Kippur because Hashem wanted you to fast Yom Kippur, then you're doing what Hashem wants, not what you want. And this Yom Kippur, he wants you to eat. This is such an important idea in life. I told the Jew, you're davening with a minion because Hashem wants you to daven with a minion. You're going to the mikveh because Hashem wants you to go to the mikveh. You're mingling with people at your simchas because Hashem wants you or because this is your culture. This is comfortable for you. He says, well, because Hashem. But yet, Hashem wants something else from you. This is your test. If you can go home and daven at home, between you and Hashem alone, it means... You weren't interested in your comfort zone. You were interested in doing Ratzon Hashem. Yesterday he wanted a minion, today he doesn't. But if not, if you continue with your Chumras, then it's clear. You're not interested in Ratzon Hashem. You just want to do your own thing. There's the Vart, famous Vart of, who was it? I think the Chais of Lublin. He said, one of the great Hasidic masters, Loi Sasun Kain Lashem Alekechem, Parshas Rei. Loi Sasun Kain Lashem Alekechem. He says, never say Kain Lashem Alekechem. That this is, exactly the thing that I do for Hashem. Today it's like this, and tomorrow it may be something else. Why? Hashem doesn't have an image. And because He doesn't have an image, there's no fixed model of what Avaidas Hashem looks like. Why am I sharing this with you? I'm sharing this with you because this is one of the most important Yisaitis, what everyone is learning today about by Corona. I think it's something that you guys understand in a very, very deep way, but I want to articulate it in words. And that is, every single person has their mission in the world. 
And nobody can define what is Avedis Hashem from me because every day it changes, every hour it changes, and sometimes every minute it changes. Yes, there are those souls who are lucky, they're trajectory of life is consistent and predictable, wonderful, Baruch Hashem, but sometimes you have to look deep into yourself and say, I have a different mission. What Avodah Hashem is for you is not for me. Sometimes Moshe Rabbeinu breaks the luchas and the Meshachachma says, you know why he broke the luchas? Because he told the Jewish people, if you could make an eagle, it means you don't get it. You think that we serve objects. Today it's this object and tomorrow it's another object. He breaks the luchas. We don't serve objects. We don't serve rituals. We don't believe in fasting on Yom Kippur and we don't believe in davening with a minion and we don't believe in going to the mikveh and we don't believe in going to chasinus and sheva brachas. We worship God and Hashem doesn't have an image. And today he says fast on Yom Kippur and to this Jew he says I want you to eat on Yom Kippur. This Jew he says I don't want you to go to shul. I don't want you to go to shul. Your journey is this type of journey, and your journey is this type of journey, and you have to be able to learn what Avodah Hashem means for you. There's no expectations, there's no model that you have to fit into. Part of the struggle is, you look at your, I'm going to be blunt, you look at your brothers, and you look at your sisters, and you look at your nephews, and you look at your nieces, your sister is marrying off her 14th child, celebrating so many brisin, and upshenishes, and bar mitzvahs, and bas mitzvahs, and sheva brachas, and avachnacht, and you come home at night, and you're crying. And I say to you, my dearest friends, The worst thing you can do is compare yourself to other people. We want to learn from other people, but don't compare yourself to another person. You have a different shlichus in life. You have a different mission in life. And nobody knows why an neshama comes down to the world and how it fulfills its mission. We don't worship objects. We don't worship models. Judaism doesn't look a certain way. You know what Judaism is supposed to look like in your life? The way it looks in your life. I serve Hashem through the person I am and the life I have, not through the person I would like to be and the life I would have liked to have. I hope you can hear these words and take them in. Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu says, I want to get close to the burning tree, to the snare, boyabesh. He says, no, Haloim, stop, stop, take your shoes off, your feet. The place upon which you stand is sacred. In life you have to discover that the the life that you have today, has meaning, has purpose. There is a shlichus in your life right now, right here, in this space, and in this time, and under these circumstances. Do we hope for different times? Of course. Do you try what you can in order to change your circumstances? Of course. Every person is supposed to try to enhance their life and make it the most successful possible life. And when somebody is searching and craving for the special blessing of children, you try to do whatever you can, alpiteva, through nature and through that which is beyond nature. But never, ever look at your life and say, eh, this is worthless, this is meaningless, this is purposeless. 
God neglected me. God abandoned me. I'm not part of Claudius Stroll. I'm not part of a family. Please, let nobody define to you what a Jewish life looks like, what Avaitis Hashem looks like. I know it's difficult because for us, what's Jewish life? Carriages and more carriages and more carriages and more carriages. And you go from preschool to school, from cheder to yeshiva, from school to Talmud Torah, and so on and so forth. I understand that. And the tremendous pain that is involved when that's missing. And no one can deny that pain. And nobody should deny that pain. And nobody should escape that pain. And nobody nobody should make believe... Everybody should escape that pain. Nobody should make believe that pain that does not exist. But worse than anything is when a person starts looking at themselves and starts believing that their life is meaningless and that their life is valueless and that somehow if I don't fit into this model, I have to be ashamed and I have to be embarrassed. It's so important to make peace with your matzav in the sense that you understand that right now, right here, this is where life happens. This is where the Shechina dwells. This is where purpose lay. Tomorrow, everything may change. And let's hope tomorrow brings a new psura and a new opportunity and a new energy and a new gift. So that the next time I address a time, none of these couples should be here. And Rapshaw won't be makbed if I say, but that there shouldn't be any couples showing up. He'll be very happy. But life doesn't start tomorrow. Life starts today. Life doesn't start. But you know, everyone thinks when Corona is over, we'll unable leaven. Right? This one says, when my kids get married, when I buy a house, when I make a million dollars, when I could retire, when I finish us. No, life happens right now, right here in my body, in my soul. Which brings me to another point. A beautiful voice from the Hale Kirishna. Bistral of Rizhin said, Open your hearts. He said, It says in Parshas Bereshis, Hashem told Kayin, Im Seitiv Seis, Vim Lavla Pesach Chatas Rovitz. What does this mean? It's a very interesting Pesach. Rashi has his Pirush, other Mephorshim have theirs. The Rizhina, the Rizhina, Bistral of Rizhin says, Im Seitiv, if you're good, Se'es, you could carry everybody. Imlav, if not, You will find sins at every single door. You will find sin crouching there. And the Hale Kedushina was saying, people who are good inside, they could contain everybody. They can deal with all types of people. If not, then I see flaws and sins everywhere. Why do I share this with you? I share this with you because of a Nisayan, because of a challenge that so many of us have, especially when we have difficult circumstances. And that challenge has to do with the fact that we sometimes feel that we have to be Yotzeh for other people. I have to live other people's lives. I have to copy other people. I have to fit into their expectations. And it becomes very, very difficult. You have to really know what works for you and what will give you your Hatzlochah. In a way, now, everybody is feeling what you have been feeling for a while. You know? <laughs> you were in an environment where there were weddings every night, and it was hard for you to go to these weddings. And God willing, this will be over soon, and people are going to go back to their regular life and their regular simchas. And you ask yourself, and what's going to be with me? I'm still going to be quarantined. And I want to say to you, the most important thing at such a moment is to be true to yourself. 
and to know Mo Hashem Shoyel Me'i Moch. Not me from your sister, your brother, your mechutin, your shver, your shviger, your brother-in-law, your sister-in-law, your rav, your rebetzin, your shachin, your shachinta, your classmate, your other classmate. Ma Hashem alekech hashoyel me'imach. Vos vil de rebushte fundi, um vos vil de rebushte fumi. They say everyone is born an original, but most of us die as copies. Don't die as a copy, live as an, live as an original. Know who you are and what you need. You know, sometimes your friends will say you want to go out for lunch before Corona or after Corona, and you would love to go. The problem is they sit down for lunch and they're talking about their kids, and it's too hard for you, and you have to be able to say, I'm so sorry, I would love to, but it's not going to work. Or you have to be able to show up, and after 10 minutes you have to say, I'm sorry, I have to go. You have to know how to come to a chasana. You can't always stay till the end of the mitzvah tans at 5 o'clock in the morning. It's hard for you. You have to be able to be genuine and know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Of course, you want to extend yourself and you want to be nice to your siblings and you want to be nice to your mother and so on and so forth. But don't sacrifice your truth because then you become frustrated and resentful and guilty. And then sometimes we start judging other people and denigrating other people. But you know what? When you're wholesome inside, you don't have to judge people. Imsative. When I work on myself, when you become a really good person, you can deal with people, you can carry people, you see the good in people. If not, I look for the chatoim of it. Oh, as at this, and he's at this, and he's at this, and he's at that, and he's at that. That's why the bigger the tzaddikim, the more they can tolerate all types of Jews. The greatest tzaddikim can tolerate everybody. The lower the tzaddik, the less he can tolerate. That's the klal in Jewish history. Look at the biggest, biggest tzaddikim, and you see they tolerated everybody. And here, I want to come to one final point, and then we're going to go. Uh, we're going to go to the to the chats. There's a lot to talk about here. A lot of, uh, I see a lot of comments, but I want to go to the. I want to. Uh, I want to make another very important point. And I see, I see texts came in here also. Okay, so we'll get to that in a few moments. I want to make one more point. <sighs> We are all going through a shverit kufa. When you go through a difficult kufa, you have to remember the words that were said about Rabbi Akiva's death. The Gemara says it in Menachis, Chavtes. Hashem told him, Alochim, shtoik, kach Allah Be quiet. This is my machshava. We have to understand that there comes times in history that we cannot wrap our brain around everything that's happening. Not everything makes sense logically. And not everything can just be attributed to your Avedis. Many of you experience this guilt. What sin did I do as a 19-year-old girl that Hashem is punishing me? What did I do as a 20-year-old bucher that Hashem is punishing me? And I say to you, we don't always know why Hashem does what He does. And just to make it simple, black and white, oh, you're a Russia, that's why you're being punished. Oh, he's a tzaddik, that's why he's not being punished is really a very, very narrow perspective on life and on history. The mysteries of theodicy, the mysteries of tzaddik virale, the mysteries of pain, are far beyond human comprehension. Yes, of course, I want to make a cheshben on nefesh. Of course, everybody should repair what they have to repair. Of course, everybody should live ba'achtos and ba'ava. Of course, I need not mention this to you. What's brought in many, many places that if I hurt somebody by mistake or not by mistake, I should ask Mechila and remove kpedis and remove blockages for brachas because sometimes if I had a relationship that ended up in a negative way, 
That can be a blockage, and it's so important to make up. It's important not to be in a fight with people. And if you're not on speaking terms with an old friend or somebody you had a connection to, and maybe something went sour and down south, it's important to call up and make amends and ask forgiveness. These are very important things because this frees up the energy and it opens up new channels in life. But to come and start blaming people as though you're a prophet and say, blame yourself and say, he sinned and I sinned and what did we sin? And now you're feeling guilty for your sins. This really has no basis. Reb Moshe Leib Sosavis said, we say, you know the secrets of the world. He said, the secrets of Torah, there are great Talmidei Chachamim, Go'inim, Tzadikim who also know them. But Raze Oilam, the secrets of the world, only you know. Only the Rabbi Nashalaylam knows the secrets of the world. Why do different Neshamas go through different journeys? The Halik of Balshamtiv once said on a Shama Kumtarap of the Velt, Unlept Fazibitzik Achzik Yarkade Tsutana Toivitzuayidin Begashmizu Bifrat Biruchnis. An Ashama comes down to the world and lives here for 70, 80 years. You know why? To do one favor to a Jew physically. Or spiritually. What does the Baal to say? A Jew could come down for 80 years or 90 years or 120 years and do so many mitzvahs and learn so much Torah and ma'asim toivim and tefill and everything. But what was the real purpose why the Neshama came down to the world? To do one favor to a Jew in Gashmias and Baruchnias. Nobody would know this. They may think the purpose is something else, but the Baal says, you don't know the Tachlis on Neshama. And every Neshama has its Shlichus and its Tachlis. And after your day, only the Rebbeinu knows the secrets of the world. Our job is not to understand everything about our life. Our job is to understand that every moment of our life is a mission. And every moment of our life, we are ambassadors of the Rebbeinu Shalolam. Shluchai shal Adam kemaisai. Adam is Adam ha'elya. We are shluchim, ambassadors of Adam, and a shliach is kemaisai, represents the one who sends you. And therefore, every single one of us is an ambassador of Hashem, an ambassador of love, of light, of hope, of healing, of redemption, of courage, of resilience, of empathy. And as a shliach, you represent the one who sent you, and therefore you have the properties and the power of the one who sent you. And that's why you're in your core. You should never doubt how much confidence you have and optimism and hope at your core you're infinite you're indestructible you're invincible of course the Yitzhahara doesn't want you to see yourself as a shliach of the Rebbeinu he wants you to see yourself as a rotten potato as a rotten depressed tomato but the truth is who are you you are a manifestation of Hashem's light in this world this you have to remember every single moment of the day and because of that my job is not to understand everything about my life and about my mission because I can't. My job is to know that wherever I am, I am not just a servant and a slave and a nebuch case. As the Gemara says in Shabbos Kufyates, I'm a shutif la Kaddish Baruch of my You're a partner. You're a partner. You're a one. You're chelik elekamimal. The Rajbe writes in Kiddushin Chav Gimel that the definition uh, the Rishonim say the definition of shutfus is not 50-50. Shutfus means, partnership means, every one of the partners is a partner in all the 100%. It's not 50-50. When we say you're a shutf, it means that you are part of Hashem. You're one with Hashem. 
You are the part of Hashem that He sends down into this world in order to bring light into darkness. Don't look at yourself as some victim. God is in heaven and He has this remote control. He says, oh, you're being punished. You're getting reward. That's a very narrow way of looking at it. We are shut from Lakadish Baruch Hu We're full partners in the work of creation. We're partners in repairing creation. We're partners in Lesakein Oilam B'Malchus Shin Dalad Yud. We're partners in bringing light and bringing Geula to the world. How? Every shutif has his or her shlichus. Now, of course, I'm a shutif. I want to make this, I want to make it happen even better, and I want it to prosper, and I want it to grow. But you're a full shutif, and as a partner, you have to be able to see yourself not just as a nebuch case, a victim, a carbon of circumstances. No, you're an embodiment of the Rebbeinu Shalaylam's infinity in this world. You are him, the Baal said, God is Altsun, Alts is God. God is Altsun, Alts is God. Which means, who are you? You are the representation of Hashem's infinite light in this world. And therefore, at every moment when you look at yourself, what are you looking at? You're looking at a chelik elikami mal. You're looking at God's infinity being revealed through you in the world, through your guf, through your mind, through your neshama, through your thoughts, through your words, through your actions. That's who you are. And every moment is a mission. And every moment is a glorious mission. And yes, every moment you also pray, you hope, you look forward, you anticipate for a day that brings a new mission and a new reality and a new gift. Everybody is hoping and praying you should be able to be blessed, Hashem to be able to fulfill all of your heart's desires. But that should never take away from your ability of understanding your koyach and your toikif and your beauty. Immediately now, right now, my dearest, dearest friends, and it's very special to be with you, but I really feel I want to go now to the questions and answers because dialogue is extremely important. So I'm just going to conclude this segment of my remarks to say how fortunate I feel to be part of this very special community. You are such, such special people. Some of you have the schus of knowing personally. Some of you have had the schus of meeting. Some of you have not yet had the schus of meeting. But I know how each and every one of you is such an extraordinary light that you are our brothers, that you are our sisters, that you are the Jewish people. And I bless you on this special night that in the month of Iyer, all of your heart's desires should be fulfilled. You should each see in your life the Yeshuas that you need, the Psurus Toivas that you need, the Yeshuas V'nechamas. It should be easy, it should be smooth, it should be Geshmak, it should be swift, and it should be La'arichis Yomim V'shanim Toivas Bebracha V'hatzlocha Ad Bli Dai. And now let's go to the questions. Okay, question to Rabbi Jacobson. What do you think about Zgulis? I've been married for eight and a half years and done many, many zgulas, and eventually I feel like it's all nonsense, and I got discouraged. That is a great question. So, let me tell you a story. It's a funny story, and the truth is, I wouldn't feel the right to say it over, but my first Shabbaton with A-time, Rabbi Rosen remembers this, I think it was right before Rosh Hashanah, 
Tovshin Ayin Hey. I don't have such a good memory, but I was looking up today the notes of my speeches at that Shabbaton because I wanted to see what I said. <laughs> I didn't want to repeat the same speech. So I saw the date. It was right before the Shabbaton. It was my first Shabbaton with Eitan. I'll never forget. It was Friday night. I finished my speech. And I walked out in the hallway in the hotel in Stanford in Connecticut. And a couple comes over to me. And the woman says, I'm from Yerushalayim. I want to share with you a story. Do you mind? I said, no, with pleasure. So she shares with me this story. Very, very funny, I have to tell you. And she says that uh, there was this farmer who had a bunch of chickens. And one morning he comes to the farm and he sees a hundred chickens are dead. And he heard that a makubal came to town. A makubal came to town. So he runs to the makubal. He says, I need a zgula. A hundred chickens died. What's going to happen the next night? The makubal says, don't worry. Do you have leftover cholins from Shabbos? He says, yeah. He says, feed the other chickens the cholins from Shabbos. Okay. The next night, another hundred chickens die. He comes running back to the makubal. Vos jetzt. He says, do you still have babke cake from Shabbos and abyssal kokosh cake? Yeah. Feed the chickens, the babke and the kokosh. Shine. The next night, another hundred chickens comes running to the makubal. I need a school. He says, do you have any chalapsis left? And abyssal gefilte fish, some stuffed cabbage and gefilte fish. And says, yeah, I have. Feed the rest of the fish, chalapsis and gefilte fish and the kedusha of the machale Shabbos will save the chickens. Shine, he does it. The next night, another hundred chickens die. He comes running to the makubal. And I have to say this in Yiddish. He says, Rebbe, Rebbe. says, It hot ef shemer zgulis. Do you have it? It's another zgula that's going to work. He says, Her zechayin mein tayir eyid. Zgulis habichasach. The shaylis vifel chickens hosto. Zgulis, I have many. The question is, how many chickens do you have? This is what this couple from Yerushalayim shared with me. And of course, they were trying to make a point, And that is sometimes people meet you and they share with you zgulav, the zgulav, the zgulav, the zgulav. What does it cost them? Another zgulav, and another zgulav, and another zgulav. Zgulav, habichasach, vifel chickens, hastu. So it's important to understand as follows. I am not the person to judge one zgulav over another zgulav. If there is a zgulav, that comes from a real, real th- source, whether it's Svarim of Torah or it's a true great Sadikim. <laughs> I'm the last one to discourage you from it. But you have to understand the fact that a lot of people who share Zgulas are not always expressing what is ultimate Dvar Hashem and Emes. It's easy to share with Zgulas. It costs Epis. It costs them. The important thing is don't hear a Zgula. And put up your hopes that this is what we do and it's going to happen. Listen, if it's a zgula that you want to try, if it has a good source, but you have to have perspective because very often these zgulas come from people who are not necessarily the greatest tzaddikim. And sometimes people give zgulas. You have to know that not every zgula is a divine commandment and is sacred. So just maintain perspective. And you know, remember, in your position, you're going to hear from people things that are not always wise and smart. You have to learn how to smile and move on. You know what I mean? Somebody meets you, they didn't see you in a few years. Oh, how are you doing? Ah, you still don't have a baby? Why don't you have a baby?
baby. Oh, you don't have a baby? You know, my sister just had twins. And you know, I also had a baby last week. And she's so cute last year. She's so cute. People don't always have perspective. People don't always have sensitivity. They often mean well. You know, sometimes people will call you, whenever you need help, just call me. Uh, sure. You're going you're gonna to call them whenever you need help. Don't tell me whenever I need help, call me. Just help me the way you can help me. But you have to appreciate, again, you know, different people who haven't been through experiences of life in the way you have, they don't always get it. And you just have to know how to move on. It's like, yes, yes, yes. It's like you not become, not to become hard and tough, but just to understand how to move on and say, okay, next. And you smile to your husband or you smile to your wife and you move on. This is a very important skill in life, not to take everybody and everything seriously, because sometimes people are clueless. Next question. I am taking a psychiatric medication that affects the Tyrus HaMeshpacha. I have to wait to go to the mikveh. I was told to take the medicine over Tyrus HaMeshpacha. Any chizok? Whew. Uh, okay, the first thing is, the first thing is, it's very, very important for such types of questions to be in touch with top, top experts. Do not get advice from second tier people, both in terms of medicine and rabbinics. You want to be in touch with top, top experts. What do I mean by top experts? Two things. First of all, they understand your situation very, very well, and they know all of the possible treatments, number one. Number two, they know halacha very well. And number three, they have a big heart and they're sensitive to you and your spouse. So you want to make sure that you're consulting real top experts. If you don't have these people, find them. Ask Rabbi Rosen, he could put you in touch, but you really need top, top experts. And the bottom line is, if this is the right thing at the moment, I am not that expert, this is the right thing at the moment, this is the right thing at the moment. You also want to look into different types of alternatives today there are supplements, there are vitamins, there's different nutrients. You want to also speak, there are, psych- there are two types of psychiatrists. There are psychiatrists who went to medical school and they know this illness, mental illness, this treatment. Mental illness, treatment, mental illness equals medication, medication equals mental illness. Now that's sometimes very, very good and very, very useful. But sometimes you have psychiatrists who have sometimes a broadness who can incorporate a lot of other things, which means exercise, vitamins, supplements, natural herbs, with medication, maybe a larger dosage, maybe a smaller dosage, combined with a lot of things. You want to make sure you're really getting the best expert's advice, both in terms of your psychiatric treatment, your psychological treatment, physical treatment, rabbinic guidance, halachic guidance, and equally important, the rabbi who is guiding you is empathetic. This is so, so important. And if this is the right thing for you now, listen, the first consideration is your health, your physical health and your mental health. So that then when you could be with your spouse, it can be in a wholesome way. What's the balance between hope and betochen, but not being so hopeful that when it doesn't work out, it's disappointing. Ooh, you're asking a very, very profound question. The balance between bitochen, optimism, confidence, trust, but not to be so hopeful that you're disappointed. This is a uh, this is a very very uh, 
sensitive and a very, very powerful question. And I would say, I'll tell you how I would put it. And it, it just came to me, and I'm not going to say it's a nevuaktana, I'm not going to say that, but I'm going to say that it was a moment of inspiration. I heard this from Ayid many, many years ago. <laughs> Ayid, he lives in Sydney, Australia. His name is Reb Daniel. And he told me he heard this vart from Ayid, who's known as the Rashag. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe Rayats, had two sons-in-law. His younger son-in-law became the Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Rebbe. He had an older brother-in-law who's known as the Rashag, Reb Shmaryohu Gorari Zechranel of Rach. I knew him. So this year told me that he was going on a shlichis for Harvatzas HaToyre in Morocco. And he was sitting with a few chaveirim with the Rashag, and Rashag told him a vart. And the vart stayed with me, and I want to share it with you. We say Shabbos, Kel Adon. The sun, the moon, the galaxies, the planets, the stars. They're happy when they go out to illuminate the world. The sun rises. They rejoice when they go back, when they set and they go to another side of the planet. They're happy to go out and they also rejoice when they come back home, when they, when they, uh, when they set from Mizrach and Mayrev. So he has to give all the kakash. So imagine you say, you know, this fellow, he loves leaving his house. He loves leaving his house. Either he doesn't like his house or he loves his job. And by the way, and he loves coming home. Something strange. If you love leaving, how could you love coming back? And if you love coming back, how can you love leaving? If you love your house and you love what's happening in your house and you love your spouse and it's great, so you're not happy to leave. And if you're happy to leave because you're so happy to leave or to go wherever you want to go, so why are you happy to come back? If you're so happy to leave, why are you happy to come back? It's a stira. If it's mechim b'tzaisim, it's nishosim b'voyim. The answer is, oisim b'yemer Because they know that they are messengers of the Rebbeinah Shalayla. They're doing Hashem's Ratzon. Now Hashem wants me, smechim but say, now he wants me to leave. Of course I'm happy. Now he wants me to come home. Of course I'm happy. I don't have agendas. Now my mission is to leave. Smechim but say, now my mission is to come home. There's a famous expression in Gemara and Kiddush. Keshem shekebalti schad ala drisha, kacha kabu schad ala prisha. Shimon Hamsuni said, I got schar from Hashem on Drishan explaining, and now I get schar al saying, I quit. It's not, I was wrong. It's the same thing. Why? It's opposites. It's opposites if you look at it from an ego perspective. If you look at it from a godly perspective, it's not opposites. And that's what I tell you. When you're trying to have a child, you have full betachin. What did the Tzemach Tzedek say? It's important to be positive and upbeat and have a happiness and a simcha. And you know why? It's not just because it's good to be in a good mood. When you're in a state of simcha, you open up channels. 
When you're in a state of simch, it says in Zayhar that the Rebbeinu Shalaylam reflects us. He's like our mirror. You look in the mirror and you smile, the mirror smiles back. The face I show to the water, the water shows back to me. You show a sour face to the water, the water shows a sour face to you. And conversely, the face that I show to the Rebbeinu Shalom, I often get back. The Badichiva writes in the name of the Balshemtiv, Hashem Tzilcha. Hashem is your shadow. The shadow follows you. So the Zoyar HaKadosh says, when your face is upbeat, when you're in a spirited open place, you open up channels. You create a simcha in heaven and that simcha comes down to life. It opens up new channels. It removes obstacles. That's why it's so important to cultivate an attitude of upbeatness, of spiritedness, of simcha, of betachet. It doesn't mean we don't have bad moods. It doesn't mean we don't get into difficult situations. It doesn't mean we don't cry. And it doesn't mean we don't sob. As I said before, human emotions have a whole gamut of experience. But don't allow those emotions, when you can be open with them and allow yourself to cry and respect them, you'll also allow yourself to laugh and to be happy and to sing and to dance and do it with your full spirit. And let's hope that all your tefillahs and all your hishtadlus should be fulfilled. Now you're saying, and chas v'shalom, chas v'shalom. You come home and there's another disappointment. Then you say to yourself, smechem b'tseisam, v'sasem b'vayam, oisem b'emer koinam when we realize that we are ambassadors of Hashem in this world, I am in a mission. Right now my shlichus is to go to the doctor and to do what I have to do to try to bring a child into the world. I will do it with my full passion. And then there comes a moment where I have to take a break or I realize something or there's a certain situation that comes up. And then I say, who am I? I'm a shliach of the Rebbeinu in this world. I am his ambassador. I am here to serve him and fulfill his will. Whatever his will is, I can embrace with dignity. Even if there's a voice in me that disagrees and there's a voice in me that says, no, you're depressed. This is the conflict that we have. And I want to say to all the husbands, you have to remember that the treatments, usually the burden of the treatments fall primarily on the wife. And it's so important, you know, waking up in the morning, three o'clock in the morning and traveling for an hour and two hours and sitting in the hospital for six hours. I'm not talking about Corona season. And it's so important to remember this and to give them the utmost respect and understand what a procedure means for a woman. It's so important that husbands should educate themselves and be sensitive to this issue. I remember the story, I love it. You remember the story with the eggs? Zgulis habichasach vifu chickens hastu. At what point is too much ishtadlus? How can I answer that question? How can I answer that question? I don't think anybody can tell somebody else how much is too much ishtadlus. I think you have to be able, you and your loved one, you and your spouse, have to be able to. Re- to come to that conclusion on your own. And maybe it's important to discuss it with somebody you trust, 
a real friend, a real confidant, a real spiritual leader or rav that you can respect and you really, really trust. Sometimes it's hard to make that decision yourself. But I don't know that we could say, anybody could say, at what point do you say, okay, I tried four times, I tried five times, I tried two times, I tried six times. Enough, that's it. Let us make peace with this. Let us move on. I think it's really, really a very, very individual question. And there's no one halach and one psak din, how much is ishtadlus. We try and we try hard and we really should try to the best of our ability. But what does that mean? For different people, that could mean different things. It's a very, very personal question. Somebody wrote to me, means <laughs> You know, sometimes you have to listen to your own voice. And sometimes you have to ask advice from somebody who can really be there for you. Thank you for your encouragement. I'm appreciative. My husband and I experienced primary infertility for many years. Thank God we're blessed with a healthy baby boy. It's been six years now we're experiencing secondary infertility, and I am having difficulty connecting to God with praying from the Siddur now, when in the past I had no problem. Any advice? Yeah, share this with Hashem. Daven about your struggle to daven. You don't only have to daven to Hashem about other things. Daven about the fact that you can't daven. Share it. You know, the best thing that can happen in a marriage or in a friendship is when you could tell your husband or your wife, I'm having difficulty connecting to you because this is what's going on and they can accept it. That brings you closer because what could have been the moment and the essence of drifting away becomes the point that actually reconnects you. Your weakest link becomes now the link that connects you together. The same is true with Hashem. Daven about this. You can tell Hashem, listen, I used to be able to connect to you. That should become your davening. And then you will use this very feeling of estrangement as a point of connection. How do I know if and when hishtadlus becomes too much should I pursue treatments that really scares me because it could mean putting my health at risk? Okay, that's that's a very, very powerful question. And, you know, how much should you put your health at risk? This is a very, very individual, individual decision again. I don't, I don't know what to answer. I wish I could have an answer for you, but I think... You really have to speak to your your husband, your wife, your spouse, and really look into yourselves and, and ask yourselves, you know, what are the pros? What are the cons? What is the price of treatment? What, what might it do for you? What is the gain? And what does that gain mean for you? Are you ready for the sacrifice? There is a sacrifice either way. If you continue with treatments with the hope of having a baby, as you said... It's a sacrifice. If you stop the treatments and you just accept the situation, it's another type of sacrifice. Which sacrifice do you want to live with more? Which sacrifice could you live with more? What is the right thing for you? These are the questions you really need to discuss because each sacrifice has consequences. And whatever you decide, realize that you're making a decision. You're making a choice as a mature person. You ask Hashem for guidance. You may want to speak to a serious person who has experience with this and may give you perspective, whether it's a very experienced Dirav, but again, somebody who's sensitive, somebody who's empathetic. Don't just go to anybody who knows how to learn. That's not enough. You need somebody who has experience in this area and has a heart, somebody who could understand you emotionally, not just academically, because these are things where you really need perspective.
Okay, somebody's asking for the recording, so you can ask Rab Shol afterwards because he's going to get a recording and Be'ezir Hashem will be able to send it to you. Let me go over to another few questions that came privately to uh, my WhatsApp and I'm going to address them as well. Okay, wow. A lot going on here. Okay, okay. Many of you wrote very, very beautiful, very beautiful uh, words of affirmation. How did you know my love language? So I thank you. I thank you very much. Okay, we lost over 15 pregnancies with IVF treatments. How and why should we try again? How should I deal with the pachad? It shouldn't happen again, chas v'shalom. I met you, I think, right? We met, I think, at the Shabbaton. These are questions that are coming directly to my WhatsApp. You can chat, you can put all your questions on chat, and I see them, if you want, and you don't have to write your name, or you could WhatsApp it to me, to me directly, 917-279-7579. 917-279-7579. Wow. What I could say to you is that I take my shoes off in your presence. Shalna lecha lecha ki admas I am standing in the presence of holiness, and I am reading a question that breaks my heart and also fills my soul with such pride that you are a sister of mine and you are a brother of mine, as we're all part of one people. It's incredible what you did. You lost 15 pregnancies with IVF. How could you try again? Why should you try again? You're the one, I think, who also shared with me the chicken story with the Makobal and the Zgulis a few years ago by the A-Time Shabbaton, right? <laughs> you see, I remember. Tov Shanayin Hay, five years ago. I spoke to you then. You are an incredible, incredible lady. You're even a relative of a famous Rav in Yerushalayim whom we both know. I just want to tell you that I remember who you are. You are an incredible, incredible lady. You have tremendous, tremendous amuna and betachin and resources. I'm not in a position to tell you if to try again, why to try again. What I would say is ask Hashem for guidance in this area. And I believe your neshama might answer you. Should you try again? And if you should try again, you will know how to try again. Listen, it's very obvious that you live on a different level. What I'm going to suggest to you is two things, because they're both very, very serious things. I want you and your husband to take a Tanya, Igeris HaKodesh, Simen Yud Aleph. There's a letter from the Balatanya that starts off with the words, Lahaskil Chabina. Learn together that letter, Lahaskil Chabina Tanya, the fourth section, Igeris HaKodesh, Simen Yud Aleph. It's very, very, very deep. And I think it can give you tremendous, tremendous encouragement after what you have been through. The second thing I would suggest is that you should daven to Hashem for clarity on this question, whether to continue after the 15 times or not. And you will follow your deepest heart 
And I really think that your deepest heart will share with you the right thing, what to do. Another option is, I don't know if you're, you're probably not in America, you're probably in Israel, I'm not sure if you're in America or in Israel. If you're in America and it's possible, under the quarantine guidelines, it's Kedai to go to the oil, to the Tzion of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Zeichet Tzadik Levracha, and Davin over there also for clarity. It's a special place, it's a holy place. Lots and lots of people have been helped there. Davening in such a holy place to the Rebbe Nishalom, I would suggest that as well. You're in Muncie, so it's not so far. And what should I tell you? My heart goes out. I'm here with you. I want to be here for you. You're, I'm davening for you. You're in my thoughts, you and your husband, and you're in my prayers. And if I could ever be here for you, now you have my number, I'm here for you. I wish I could give you clear guidance and clarity, but I also have to know my boundaries. There's what I know and there's what I don't know. As one big Rebbe said, in You want to be rich? We're all rich in ignorance. And certainly in such... Uh, such serious questions. Let's go to the next question. Okay. Uh, do you have an idea how to deal with parents? <laughs> I don't know your parents. There are different types of parents, okay? Some parents are very are easier to deal with. Some parents are very difficult. Depends what types of parents you have. If you have parents who are understanding, you could have an open conversation with them and you could say, Mommy, it's very, very difficult when you call me up every day and ask me when I'm having a baby. Or, Mommy, it's very, very difficult when you call me every 10 minutes and you tell me about another simcha. Try to have an open conversation with mommy and tati and explain to them what you're going through. If you cannot do that for whatever reason, it's important to have respectful but appropriate boundaries. Good fences, good neighbors make. There's something called a mechitza, a gather. You have to make boundaries. Boundaries means, mommy, I can't speak right now. I'm going to call you back tomorrow morning. Mommy, I have to go right now. Be nice, be respectful, but make boundaries. Sometimes parents don't get it. Sometimes parents don't understand what you're going through. That's also normal. You don't have to judge them. Imsative se'es. Remember the there. If you're a wholesome person, you can deal with other people's flaws. Don't get entangled by your mother's or father's or mother's-in-law or father's-in-law's issues. Let them be and make the boundaries that you need in life. I hope you're understanding me. This is a very, very important question. Boundaries doesn't mean you don't speak to them. Boundaries doesn't mean you never visit them. Boundaries doesn't mean you speak about them behind their back. Boundaries means you do the right thing to be able to protect yourself. Meaning sometimes you can't take the call. Sometimes you're going to say, Mommy, I really have to go now. Sometimes you say, Tati, I'm going to call you back tomorrow. Mommy, I really would love to go to the wedding in Montreal, but it's not going to work out. How could you not go? Mommy, I would love to go. I'm going to send a gift. I'm going to call the Kala, but it's not going to work out. Maybe you have a treatment that day. You won't be able to go to Montreal. It's important to have boundaries. Don't get angry, but have boundaries if you can't be so open with your parents. I hope you understood this. Of course, the best option is that you have a meeting with your parents and you share with them 
what is really, really going on in your life. But again, it depends on who your mother-in-law is, who your father-in-law is, who your tati is, and who your mommy is. But you can do it respectful. If they're abusive, that's a whole different situation. If you have abusive parents, they they drive you crazy, and they're doing inappropriate things, that's a whole separate genre. Then you really need boundaries, and you may need an expert to help you figure it out. How do you find meaning and happiness in quarantine when the emptiness and the quiet of the home seems to be highlighted? I love that question, Chaya. And the answer to that is, this is a time when everybody has to discover their inner core. And you always discover your inner core in solitude. Vayivoser Yaakov levadoi bayoimahu. Yaakov remained alone. And the Navi, the Medrash says, it's like Vinizgov Hashem Levadai Bayaimahu. There is a Levadai in every person. And I want you to know something. If you look through Jewish history, you will see that some of our greatest personalities and giants had to remain in quarantine and sometimes in prison for long periods of time. And that's when they emerged as real, real leaders because they fortified themselves. Whether Yosef HaTzadik in a bur for 12 years, whether Reb Shimon Bar in a bur for 13 years, whether David HaMelech in the Midbar Yehuda gave Shuni Milis Tapeach Benachelos Hashem, you'll go through Jewish history, people like the Rambam, other greats who were mamish quarantined for months or for years. You know, the Kotzke Rebbe isolated himself for 20 years. Choyz of Lublin, the Alta von Avar, the great people. They remained alone before Pesach. You may have seen a video that went around from me. Did you see the story? And it was in WhatsApps, an article I wrote about when I was a bocher and the Lubavitcher Rebbe's wife passed away and they didn't have children. And from that year, he did the Seder of Pesach alone. And it always bothered me. I was a yeshiva bocher and I couldn't understand the Lubavitcher Rebbe does a Seder alone. Every Jew has company by the Seder. Yet the Yid, who doesn't have somewhere to go by the Seder? And the Rebbe was the one who arranged for hundreds of thousands of secular Jews who don't have a place to go, to have a place to go. All the communal Seders in all of Israel, and from Kathmandu to Nepal, from Bangkok to Cape Town, from Peru to Alaska, every Jew should have a Seder. And he himself... He himself, Dover Shenizer by Oisay Tzadik, he made sure that every Jew had a say that he didn't have he didn't have anybody to have a say there with. It was so sad for me. And then a few years ago, I was talking to single moms, divorced, and there was a single mom. She was supposed to have her children for Pesach, and her ex-husband, the last minute before Pesach, canceled, and she prepared for a month. Can you imagine? And by the Seder, there was nobody there, none of the children. Four children, nobody showed up. And she did the Seder alone, alone. This is a few years ago. And she told me she cried a whole Seder. And she asked me if it was Bechlal a Seder, if it, was a, if it was a real Seder. And then I reminded myself and I said, Ah, now I know why the Rebbe did a Seder alone. Because a manig Yisrael has to encompass all of Klal Yisrael. And he knew that one day there's going to be a woman who's going to do a Seder alone. And he wanted to teach you that you could do your Seder alone and go out of Mitzrayim alone because the Shechina is there and all of Jewish history is there. And I want to tell you something. During times of quarantine, we are challenged. It's not easy. Mekanish gain, mekanish loifen, mekanish loifen da, mekanish loifen. 
I have, it's very difficult. But on the other hand, it's a time to find your deepest, deepest kaiches. It's a time to discover your strength. What did Hashem tell Avraham Avinu? Lech lecha. It's time to go to yourself. That's what the Alshik says. Lech lecha. I want you to go to you. So I want to encourage you to take this time. And when you're feeling lonely, and when you're feeling very, very quarantined, and there's an emptiness, that emptiness is beaconing to you. It's inviting you to go look for that which is under the emptiness. And if you do this with courage, you will find a part of yourself that you have never known existed. How do you explain the concept of positive thoughts bringing positive realities? And if we are positive, Hashem affects back on us in positive ways, as it says in Zayar, when we don't see positive. Listen, this is a very heavy sugya. I gave quite a few shiurim on this. I'm going to encourage you, if you go to theyeshiva.net, to the website theyeshiva.net, type in trachtgut. Type in to the search trachtgut, and you'll see a few shiurim where I try to explain this concept from the Zohar, trachtgut gut. Now you're saying there are people who, 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 who are positive and there's no positive results. You know, the Baal Shem Tov once said that when Hashem wants to punish somebody, He takes away from him His Midas HaBitochen. He takes away from him the confidence that it's going to be good. You know why? Because Bitochen is so powerful, confidence is so powerful, it has incredible results. So Hashem knows He has to take away that Midas HaBitochen. You're asking me a question. I cannot judge how positive people are or they're not. I, it's very hard for me to judge. It's also hard for me to judge to know, you know, what do positive results mean? Like sometimes what's positive in one world is not positive in another world. And what's positive for one person is not positive for another person. And sometimes positivity can express itself in so many different ways. Now, I know what we mean by positive is that we should experience the happiness and the positivity. But my point is, I think positive thoughts always have positive results. How the positivity expresses itself may sometimes be in ways that one can't always foresee or imagine or understand. But positive thoughts always have positive results in one way or another. When we say trachut v'zayngut, we don't though mean positive results in Olam HaTzilis, in Olam Haba. We mean positive results right here. And you're asking, I'm positive and I'm positive, and I don't see positive results. And my answer to you is, <laughs> I am the last person to be able to judge that and say, you know, oh, this means a person was not positive, or it means, does it, is it not true? What I could say is that when a person lives with positivity, good things happen in one way or another. And that's how we should try to live. <laughs> I really, I have to be very humble here. There is so much mystery in life and so much mystery in how God runs the world that I don't feel entitled to be able to say a psakdin and make it like a mathematical equation. You press this button and this happens. You press that button and that happens. I don't think it works that way. I am sitting here in tears listening to you. If I ever thought I had a challenging life, I can't pretend to imagine the questioner's pain about the 15 uh, 
pregnancies that were lost. They should know that I am listening and sending up tefillahs to Hashem on their behalf, even though I have no idea who they are. The number to ask questions, if you don't want to chat, is 917-279-7579. WhatsApp, don't text. What if usually... What's if it usually doesn't bother me that I don't have children? I'm married almost three years. I have a lot of other things to be grateful for. Is it that I'm just trying to run away from my real feelings and being oblivious? You don't have to judge yourself. You're married for three years. Hopefully you'll be blessed with a child. May it be soon and may it be easy and may it be smooth. I don't think you're running away. You're still young. You're busy. You're grateful, you're ambitious, let's be positive, and there's no need now to feel guilty. I don't know if you're running away. I don't know you. But the bottom line is, use your time productively and meaningfully. You're not trying not to have children. You're trying to maximize your potentials. Give yourself the benefit of the doubt that you're not running away, unless you know you're running away. How do you continue on with life after a very big disappointment? The first thing is you allow yourself to feel the disappointment. The second thing is you allow yourself to cry. The third thing is you allow yourself to feel any emotions that you're feeling. Don't judge them. Let them be be raw, be real, be emotionally vulnerable. Strip yourself from all the cover-ups and feel the disappointment very, very deeply. And then something will happen. Deep, 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 deep down within the disappointment, you will also find God, which won't take away the disappointment, but it will help you know that there's somebody with you always, and that the love never ceases, and that Gamki Eilich begets Almavis, Loirara, Ki Imadi. Even as I walk, in the valley of the shadow of death, I don't fear evil because you're with me. Tehillim, chapter 23, Kapitel Chav Gimel. Let's go to the next question. We have male factor in fertility. How do I make my husband not feel like it's his fault and he shouldn't feel bad about it? And the answer is to be able to have as much as possible, open and honest conversations. Are you feeling it's his fault? Are you angry with him? Does he feel you're angry with him? Have open conversations. And you know what? I can even understand if you say, there's a part of me that can get angry. There's a part of me that's called the Yetzirah. That's a voice and it's a normal voice. But you know what? I know how much we care for each other and we love each other and I'm here for you. So be honest with your emotions. Let him be honest with his emotions and communicate with each other. If you can, if you need the help of a third party, that's also something to consider. And don't only have one conversation about this. This can be an ongoing conversation. How do I deal with friends that make you feel like a Rahmanus case? I know they don't mean anything bad, but it's not a comfortable thing. The answer is, if they are real friends, real friends, speak to them openly about this. You could call up your friend and say, you know, Rachi, you know, Sari, you know, Leah, you know, Chaya, you know, Sprinza, 
when you say this, it really makes me feel bad. Like, I don't want you should look at me as a Rahmanas case. Yeah, I have a challenge, but it makes me feel bad. Communicate this with them. You know, they probably don't realize if they are real friends and you could be vulnerable with them. If they're not real friends, okay, so people say different things. You know, we have to learn, as I said before, to be able to smile and cut people slack and realize some people don't get it. Sometimes it gets worse. Sometimes people say mamish things that are inappropriate. And I once told a couple, I said, remember what Albert Einstein said. Two things are infinite, the universe and stupidity. And I am not sure about the former. <laughs> so, so you have to realize that different people are in different wavelengths. So again, if they're really good friends, you invest in the relationship. If they're not really good friends, if they're just acquaintances and you're embarrassed to talk to them about it. So then maybe you have to choose a different f- group of friends. Maybe you have to say it to them in a different way. Maybe you have to send somebody else to say it to them. Maybe there's certain conversations you shouldn't have with them, or maybe you just have to have better boundaries, or maybe you have to learn how to overlook and ignore things. But remember, when you're confident inside of you and you know who you are, you can tolerate much more the insensitivities of other people. That is a very, very good question. Next question. I want to start treatment, but financially it's taking a toll. Also, how can I stay positive while I'm waiting? Okay, wow. These are very good questions. The finances is a real, real struggle. It's it's part of the struggle. I, uh, you know, I, I my thoughts are with you. My prayers are with you. Hashem should help you be able to have all the finances that you need. And and staying positive while you're waiting, I think the best way of doing that is realizing that somehow this is part of the mission of your soul. So you're not just waiting, you're fulfilling the shlichus of your neshama. Why this is the mission of your neshama, that I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. But it's like when I'm traveling on a highway, I have to get to a destination. And then I stop at an exit because I want to eat lunch or I want to get a coffee in the gas station. So it's not like, oi, this journey is such a bad, horrible thing. I wish I could just get to my destination. Hashgacha Pratis means that the journey is also the destination. It's not just the destination. The journey is part of the destination. So when you're waiting for something, that's part of the experience of life that will make you the person you need to become and bring you to the place you have to be. Now, I know it's easier said and done, and it's very nice. A rabbi, why, why is sitting here by the mic and telling me that waiting is part of my mission? So please, if this is sounding dismissive or judgmental, I really don't mean it that way. What I'm saying is that each of us in our own way, and we cannot judge other people, but each of us in our own way has to realize that when we're waiting, we're not just waiting, we also arrived. The wait is part of the mission of my Nisham in this world to bring me where I have to be. Do I understand why I have to go by this exit and this exit and this exit and this that exit? I really don't. But there are sparks here. There are opportunities here that are specially destined for you because there's no mistakes in this world. Next question. Wow, wow, wow. Whew. Okay. <laughs> One of... One of the couples sitting on their couch sent me a picture of them listening. Thank you very much. 
and I send you my chizuk back and my love and blessings to you and all of you. I got married at a, a bit later in life. Now I'm dealing with infertility. I feel like it's a double whammy. Any words of encouragement? I appreciate all your words. You uplift and empower all of us. But I feel like this double whammy. I got married later and now I'm dealing with infertility. Listen, I want you to understand again. You got married later. That was not a mistake. Don't compare yourself to other people. Yitzchak got married when he was 40 years old. <laughs> and he was a fine yid. He was the father of Klal Yisrael. Do you know when Yaakov got married? <laughs> you know when Yaakov got married? It says that Yaakov got the brachas when he was 63 years old. The Gemara says in Megillah and Rashi brings it. He was 63 years old. And then he went 14 years to learn by shame, by Aver, the yeshiva of Aver, shame and Aver. And then he went to Lavan. So he was there for 14 years, so 73, 74, 76. So he was in his high 70s. And he's the father of the Jewish people. My point is, of course, it's good to get married early. There's no need to wait. But it's not a mistake. You got married when you were supposed to get married, when Hashem gave you your zivug. And you're going to get your child when you have to get your child. It's not a mistake. Your neshama is fulfilling the exact mission it has to fulfill in this world, please understand that, and you got to cut yourself slack. And I want to tell this to all of you. This is not a time to judge yourself. You know, have compassion on yourself and speak compassionately. Speak compassionately to yourself always. We were diagnosed with unexplained infertility. I find myself constantly struggling with the same feelings, wanting to have children on our own after five years of marriage. What is the right outlook? The right outlook is, my dearest friends, that this is a very painful situation. And it's painful. It's just a painful situation. It's a very difficult situation. And it's important to understand that. It's important to have compassion for what you're going through, to have empathy towards your experience, towards your life experience, and to operate from there. And it's also important to understand that you're not a hopeless victim, neglected, abandoned by the world and by God. Hashem loves you unconditionally. The love is infinite. Hashem is with you and guiding you. This is the journey of your soul. So have compassion, remain hopeful and spirited, and appreciate the fact that wherever you are, that's exactly where you have to be. And that today you have a special mission as God's ambassador in this world, an ambassador of love and of light and of wisdom and of hope and of healing. I said this at both eight-time Shabbatons. And I want to share it with all of you because it's very, very important. And it's emotional for me to say. It's not an easy thing to say. And I also have a painful sensation when I say it because I feel that it's maybe a chutzpah to say. But I still think it's the right thing to say and that's why I'm saying it and I'm going to ask you forgiveness. If you look, there were certain great G'dayla Yisrael who literally rebuilt the Jewish world after the Holocaust. All Many of our Zaydis and our Babas, our Elta Zaydis, our parents came with nothing. They lost family members and they rebuilt the world. But the Jewish world was also blessed with great leaders, holy Jews, sages, 
Talmidei Chachamim, Tzadikim, Kedoshim, who literally rebuilt their communities and Klal Yisrael after the Churban, each one in their own way. And the fascinating thing is that quite a few of them did not have children. Take the Satmer Rebbe, the Heile Kedivre Yoel, Zechet Sadik V'Kadosh Levracha, the Satmer His daughter passed away, Tavshin Yudalad, 1954. And the Satmerov, Zechet Sadik Levracha, Schus Yogan Elena, didn't have children. One of the captains of the ship who rebuilt the Jewish people and the Chsidish Akhila and all of Satmer and so many more communities who he impacted and affected during the years of his leadership after the Holocaust didn't have children. Taken the Litvisha world, the Chazoynish. Chazoynish was one of the great sages of his generation. He passed away in Tavshin Yudalad in 1954. And he was from the Mekime Oilo Shel in Eretz Yisrael. Passed away without children. Before him there was a Chaim Grazensky. Passed away in the middle of the war. Tavshin, the Rav of Vilna. He had a daughter who predeceased him. Fascinating. He had the Gerer Rebbe, the Beis Yisrael. The Beis Yisrael took over his father in 1948. The Imreyem has passed away. Shvu was Tavshin Ches. And the Heilike Beis Yisrael, Shusiyog and Aleinu, rebuilt Ger. In Eretz Yisrael, Ger was decimated by the Nazis. The Beis Yisrael passed away in 1977, Beis Adat Tavshin without children. Take the Heilike Belzerov, Shusiyog and Aleinu, Rab Aaron Belzer, Rab Aaron Rekeach. Lost his wife and five children and every single one of his descendants and grandchildren shot by Hitler, by the Nazis, Yimachshimo. The Belzerov escaped him and his half-brother, the Bilgurayarov, they escaped, ultimately came to Eretz Yisrael in Tavshin Dalad. His brother had a son, but died shortly after. The present Belzerov, Rabbi Soschadov Rekeach, the Belzerov today. Rabbi Aaron himself, Rabbi Aaron Belzer, he remarried, he never had children. He passed away, Chaf Alef of Tavshin Yud Zai in 1957, lived in Tel Aviv. Brought in a whole new spirit of Yiddishkeit and Chassidus in Territ Yisrael after the war. A big Balmoifus, a huge tzaddik, the Belzerov. Passed away without children. Take the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Lubavitcher Rebbe was an individual who literally impacted every single Jewish community in the world after the Churban. His Avas Yisrael, his dedication to the Jewish people, was infinite. He impacted literally millions of Jews and changed the trajectory of outreach and Kiruv in our generation. Passed away, Tovshin Nundalad in 1994, without children. Now, do you think that these personalities didn't feel pain? I'm sure they felt a lot, a lot of pain. But look what they did. Can anybody call their lives meaningless? The Chazinish, the Helika Satmerov, the Helika Belzerov, the Gerer Rebbe, the Beis Yisrael, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. They became the fathers and mothers of Klal Yisrael. They mentored thousands, hundreds of thousands of Jews with love and emuna and conviction and Torah and Yerushamayim and Avaz Yisrael and Avaz Hashem and Avaz HaTorah. Now, I'm not comparing any one of us to any of those people, but learn, we must learn from them. They could have looked at their lives and said, Oi, Nebuch cases, we're Rachmanes cases, Hashem punished us. Look at other people. They have all these brachas, they have all these children. Now look what we have, we have nothing. And you know, I used to think to myself, growing up, I saw many, many couples come to the Lubavitcher Rebbe and ask him for a bracha for children. When I flicked shit in brachas, 
And whenever he saw children, he would be so warm to them. It was incredible to see his warmth to children. And when I got a little older, I thought to myself, you know, how does it feel to bless so many couples to have a child, to give them guidance and direction? And you know that you don't have your own. Wow. What type of person do you have to be? It's incredible. It's incredible how they took their pain, all these personalities, and many others, they took their pain, they took their brokenness, and they transformed it in a way that they became beacons of hope for Klal Yisrael. It's something to learn from. Now, each of you should be blessed with a lot, a lot of children. But as you struggle in this process, chas v'shalom to think for a moment that your lives are meaningless, that you're not part of the Jewish people, you don't have a future, you don't have a kaddish. Don't look at it this way. Look how these people looked at their lives. They realized that they're not victims. They're shutfim la'kaddish baruch hu They have a mission. And they became spiritual fathers and mothers for the Jewish people. And I think each and every one of us and may all of you be blessed with children and, and many children, Bezer Hashem, as much as possible. But remember, you're always a shutif and you're always a leader. You're a spiritual leader of the Jewish people. Each and every one of you has a special light to contribute to our world in so many different ways. To give other people Love, light, wisdom, hope, bring healing, bring redemption, bring Geula to our world. This is something I wanted to share with you. I shared this at both eight-time Shabbatons. I'm trying to stay positive, although certain issues, including infertility, and sometimes I lose myself. I say things because they offer me ideas. They also claim that we can accept in the Sion what Hashem gave me. Okay, listen, we all lose ourselves. That's why we make mistakes and we say, I'm sorry, don't worry. We are dealing with emotional problems. It's emotionally hard for me to think of having a baby now. On the other hand, we want to have a baby. It kills me that this is now an obstacle for us, especially that these medications will make me feel worse. How do we deal with this? Should we go ahead with treatment or wait? I mean, I have slight depression and anxiety. And because of the slight depression and anxiety, it's hard to think of having a baby, but I desperately want to have a baby. So this is a very, very serious dilemma that I have. Okay, this is something that you really must have a very, very open conversation with your spouse, and also with one or two top, top experts, maybe therapists, emotional coaches, rabbis or rebbitsons who are experts in this, you could share all your emotions and the pros and the cons. Not having a baby and dealing with your anxiety has pros, it has cons. Going ahead with treatments and trying to have a baby with your emotional anxiety has pros and cons. And then see and weigh them against each other and really be open and honest and also look at a timeline and what type of treatments are available. With the help of your spouse and with the help of one or two experts who are empathetic and caring, Hashem will help you make the right decision. I'm just looking because a lot of questions are coming in. So I'm just going down the list here. Okay. The doctors have no further suggestions for us to try. 
these other treatments people suggest are not real. We have tried many of them already. How do we stop feeling guilty for not continuing to try every treatment that people suggest after so many years of failed treatments and heartaches? You don't have to answer to other people. You have to answer to yourself and you have to answer to the Rebbeinah Shalom. That's it. <laughs> you don't have to answer to other people. You have to answer to your neshama and to your conscience. If your conscience is clear, maybe you want to consult a, a, a prominent Rav or Paisik or somebody who's an expert in this to make sure you got it right and a, a top expert in this from a medical perspective. But you don't have to answer every Tom Spaghetti and Harry. Don't feel the need for that, really. It's, it's, it's an extra pressure. If you feel you're making the right decision and this is what God wants from you, that is fine. As It's good to get an objective opinion from a third person who's an expert in this area. Wow, okay. Me and my wife have been going through a lot in the last year. We feel there's no one in Lakewood or any group of guys that get together and talk about infertility to give each other chizuk. I always get depressed about this topic. I'm asking, can we connect and start having fabrengans once every two weeks or once a month in Lakewood and invite all the men going through infertility and have you give chizuk and give a nice kumzitz in Lakewood for all the men who struggle with infertility? I also want to give a shout out to the person who just asked that question because I have depression. Also, but I think it came from infertility. So it's the same answer like his question because my depression came from infertility. Okay, my dearest friend. First of all, I love you and I daven for you. About me coming to Lakewood every two weeks, I don't think, Pasha, physically it's going to be possible. But I want you to know that my door is always open and my heart is always open. And maybe you want to bring some of your chaverim from Lakewood. Come here to Muncie and we'll fabreng with them and we'll have a beautiful evening. We can also have a Zoom chat and also speak to Reb Shoal and A-Time because they may have different groups of men that meet through Zoom or FaceTime or telephone conferences so you guys could connect. Okay, next question, next question... Wow, there's a lot, a lot coming in here. Okay. Please don't say my name. I am 44 without any children. I have PCOS and recurrent miscarriages. More than 20 miscarriages. I was married before for 16 years. During the marriage, I experienced those miscarriages. I went through most fertility procedures during that time. I haven't been able to get pregnant on my own, only with medications on board for treatments. I divorced my ex and now I remarried. We married on Yutas Kislev. We want children. So far, I haven't gotten pregnant. My husband has a son from a previous relationship. I'm struggling with sadness, the pain of not having children. I was angry for a couple of years because of the losses. During this time, raw emotion, deep pain. I want to move forward. I hope it's still possible. How to proceed with this present pain, even if there are other moments of joy. I live day to day with Avedis Hashem. Please don't say my name, but please do answer. Listen. All I could say is, I'm going to daven for you. You're in my thoughts. Your husband is in my thoughts and prayers. And the most important thing is to realize you have been through so, so much. 
And I hope that you can emerge from this with great news to share with all of us. And Hashem should fulfill all of your heart's desires. And I think the most important thing is that, you know, you have to realize that you are in a level all by yourself. And I think all of you have to realize that it's so important not to compare your lives to other people's lives and to realize that you have a unique journey and a unique shlichus and a unique mission and make every day meaningful and realize that every day has its unique opportunity that was given, given to you. And that opportunity should not be squandered, even though it seems like it's so difficult. And what I would suggest, what I would suggest to you also, and I'm speaking to you now, but really to all of you is, when you wake up in the morning, the first thing you say, Stop for a moment and think about the following truth. Hashem gave me a neshama for another day. That neshama is infinite. That neshama is divine. That neshama is invincible. That neshama is capable. And that neshama has inexhaustible koichas. And now Hashem, allow me to be deserving of that piece of you that you have given me today. I'm going to operate on that level of consciousness and I'm going to function from that place. And you will find within yourself a depth that you may have not known existed before. Let's go to the next question. You say that all feelings are valid, shouldn't be repressed. What about guilt? Guilt towards causing a spouse to suffer infertility because of me. Guilt that I'm depriving our only child of siblings. Is that valid or just destructive? Listen, guilt is a very natural Jewish emotion. But if you live with guilt, it's very destructive. The fact that guilt comes into us, this is part of the Yetzirah's job. He wants us to feel guilty so we can get sad, depressed, dejected, downtrodden, demoralized, angry, sad, melancholy, stay in bed most of the day. He wants us to do that. So when you experience that guilt, you don't have to repress it. You don't have to run away from it. Maybe you have to talk to somebody about it, but don't worship it because guilt is not going to add anything good into your life. If there's something you have to fix, fix it. If you have to make men's, make men's. But just guilt, the feeling that I'm worthless and I'm bad and I'm horrible and look what I did and I ruined people's lives. What is that going to help? How is that going to help? Won't help you, won't help your spouse, and certainly will not help your child. I'm confused. What is Avaidas Hamidais? Doesn't it require me to sit by my sibling Simcha and not to hurt them by leaving early, or not to join the Suddhas by my parents and in-laws when it hurts me, when I feel everyone is going crazy over my nephews and nieces while we are sitting there. It's very important not to hurt your brother's and sister's feelings, and that's why you should try to show up every to every Simcha. But you also have to respect your feelings, and you have to respect your emotions. And maybe if you're close with your brother, you have to tell your brother, you know, I'm going to come to the Hasana. It's going to be very hard for me to stay through this and this and this and this. I may have to leave early. I love you so much. I wish you well. If you have an open relationship with your siblings, maybe you could communicate this with them. 
If not, you still need the proper boundaries. So yes, of course you should show up to a simcha. But you know what? Maybe you can't stay a whole time. Maybe you can't stay for so long. Maybe you have to be prepared a day before. Maybe you have to tell yourself, you know, I'm going to be there. I may get jealous. I may get angry. I may get sad. I may feel guilty that I'm jealous. And it's going to be part of my emotions, but it's fine. It's my brother. I love my brother. I love his children, and I want to be there. So prepare yourself for the fact that you're going to have conflicting emotions. Avoidus hamidus doesn't mean that everything is dandy. Avoidus hamidus means that in every situation, we choose to do the right thing that helps other people and helps ourselves. Avoidus hamidus means that I can acknowledge everything that I'm going through and then I can choose what is the right path and what Hashem wants me to do in this situation. Infertility is so, so hard. If Hashem wants us to have kids and He doesn't give us kids, why should we do treatments and make ourselves crazy? Shouldn't I just give up my hopes and dreams instead of getting disappointed every month? Maybe I should just stop trying, stop investing so much into trying, ignore it and live a life without children. My husband keeps himself busy these days by doing hobbies, going out with friends, working. He's not interested in staying home or relaxing. It's annoying. I'm home myself. I'm bored. I'm lonely. I'm jealous of my friends who are home with three kids. It's so so hard. Yes, it is very hard. It is very hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's very, very hard. And what exactly Hashem wants, I don't know. I don't know what Hashem wants. Listen, you know, the Avais didn't have children initially, and children were given to them very late. Sometimes Hashem has different desires and different cheshboinahs. I don't know. It's so hard to know. You know, but I think you should acknowledge your pain. And maybe you need a little more time with your husband. Maybe it's good for you to pursue a project or pursue a career or get involved in some leadership work. You know, maybe there's so many things that can be done. Maybe you can get involved in an organization or create an organization, create a website, create a blog, create some type of structure to be able to maybe fulfill a dream or a passion or something that you know people really need so that you can get busy with doing God's work in this world. I'm just giving different suggestions. These are all options you should consider and discuss with your husband. But it is, it is very, very hard. This is a big nisayan. This is a very, very big challenge. It is. Whew. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. Because of Corona, organizations that used to give us a lot of money for IVF or other treatments are low on funds. My husband and I will have to come up with over $9,000, which we don't have. Is it worth going into debt to have children? We were about to start IVF, but with full funding now, we are not sure what to do because we have to come up with $9,000. Should we go into debt? Listen, to have children, we go through a lot. There's an expression, I think it comes from the Tzamech Tzedek, Ayid hat nefesh v'haben kinder. We try to do whatever we can to have children, the Balatanya said the first mitzvah in the Torah is pruervu, to have children. 
because ayidaf ayid. The first mitzvah is a Jew should make another Jew. So we try very hard to do this. I can't tell you whether to go into debt for nine thousand dollars. If you have a plan, just to you know, just to be in debt, and you're going to be pursued by indebtors, and you won't have day or night. I think may not be the right option. But if you can create a plan through which you'll be able to pay it in a way that makes sense, maybe part of the loan could be from a friend, so there's no interest, a gemach, a gemilas chesed, or a few people, maybe there's a relative who can help you, etc. If there's a plan that makes sense, I would take this loan. I would take this loan. Again, I can't give you authoritative advice. You have to decide what you want to do. But I think it's good to extend yourself in order to be able to receive this blessing for children, but it shouldn't be in a way that, you know, you're just in debt one day and another day, and then suddenly you have all this credit over your head, overwhelming you, you don't know how to deal with it. So if there's a way to structure it, in a way that you'll be able to pay it back over time without crazy pressure, so that you'll have a normal life and your menuchas and nefesh won't be deprived, Please try to do it that way. That would be my suggestion to you. Okay, I think we'll take another three or four questions because it's pretty late. Somebody wrote a story of the Divrei Chaim. Oh, there's a story about the Helikat Sanzeru of the Divrei Chaim that gave me strength to deal with male infertility. Shortly before the wedding, the Kala of the Divrei Chaim found out that he had a severe limp and she refused to go to the chuppah. So Reb Chaim Tzanza asked to have a few words with her in private, and she agreed to speak with him. Although no one was privy to their conversation, the story circulates that the Heliker Reb Chaim Tzanza asked this Kala to look into the mirror. When she did, she saw herself with a severe deformity. He then told her that she had been destined to be deformed, but since she was his bashert, he had intervened, speared her of the pain, and he took the deformity upon himself, and that's why he had this severe limp. Needless to say, Rachel Fager consented to marry him, and Rachel Fager became the wife of the holy Divri Chaim, Reb Chaim Halberstam, the Tzanzeruv. Perhaps my husband took it upon himself to have the infertility factor, although we both need to go through it, so I shouldn't blame him and make him the guilty one, because it's very possible that he took it upon himself in order to take it away from me. When a spouse has a flaw, we never know if it's their flaw, or maybe it's our flaw, that he or she is taking from us. That is a very, very beautiful story. I'm just going to add one detail to the story. I heard the story from Ayid. He passed away recently. His name was Reb Chaim Rubin. Reb Chaim Rubin was an anical of the Tzanzerov. He was a rav of a shul called Beis David Gershon on New York Avenue in the Crown Heights section of Brooklyn. He was uh, amical, I think, of the Rapshitza, the Belze, and I think of the, the Tzanze. And Reb Chaim Rubin shared the story with me on the yard site of the Tzanze Rav, and he told me that this girl, the Kala, was a daughter of the Heleke Baruch Tam. Rab- Baruch Tam was one of the great halachic authorities and Rabbonim in Poland. Um, Leipnik, the Rav of Leipnik, Rav Tu'umim, I think his name, Frankel Tu'umim, the Baruch Tam he's known, and it was his daughter, and he said that Rachel Fega was known as the beauty of Poland. 
And he came and he asked for the best bocha in yeshiva. And they said, Chaim Alberstam. And he spoke to him while he was sitting, so he didn't see his deformity. And later they found out about his deformity, and his wife was pressuring him to break up the shidduch. And that's when Reb Chaim Alberstam came to the house, and he spoke to Rachel Fager, and he he pointed her to the mirror, and she agreed. They came out of the room, and she said, Mazel tov, Mazel tov, he's my chassan, and they got married together. It's a very, very beautiful, beautiful story. Okay, let me take a few last questions. We have five minutes left, and then I think we'll call it a night. You also deserve to go to sleep. Let me take a few questions here. I'm going back to the chat now. For the couple who is worried about finances, I don't know your specific situation, but there is financial help out there for couples who need treatment. So I guess you should reach out to other people and find out what type of help there is available. Is it a problem to be mad at Hashem when there is a huge disappointment? How can I work on it? Listen, madness just means that your body is going through a sensation. You could share that with Hashem. It's fine. Hashem is not afraid of your emotions. But usually the madness and the anger is covering over deep pain and deep fear and deep loneliness. So don't stop at the madness. Allow yourself to go deeper. But Hashem is really not afraid of you sharing everything with Him. It's fine. What should be my view on having children through IVF and not naturally? Should I wait longer as there are chances I can still conceive naturally? I don't feel comfortable having it through IVF. This is a question for top medical experts. How long would you have to wait? What are the medical, what is the medical prognosis here? If Listen, many beautiful children were born through IVF, and they are fine, greise, erliche, heilike, yiddish, and neshamas. I don't think you have to worry about that, but this is a very personal question which you dis- you should discuss with top doctors and uh, and medical and or rabbinic experts or both of them. The answer for the male factor wife asking how to make her spouse not feel guilty. A very important factor is to understand that a man naturally wants to provide everything his wife needs. He could feel incapable since there is a fertility issue, especially after a disappointment or recent diagnosis. When a man cannot be there for his wife, it's very hard for him. It can be so vulnerable and sad and a worthless feeling for a man. Try to give him assurance. Don't overdo it. Men don't appreciate when you overdo it. They appreciate to provide you with what you need. Ask them for help in whatever they specialize and thank them sincerely for their assistance. They will feel capable and important because men need to feel capable and important and giving. Okay, smart. My husband is a Balchuva and the rest of his family is not religious. He's also a Kayan. I wish so much to be able to continue this special lineage with our own children. I feel like this is an extra layer of pain attached to the infertility. Any suggestions? Yes, listen. It's uh, Kahuna is, is, is a very, very special lineage and you want to continue it. No question. It's very painful and and I'm davening for you. Hashem should bless you and you should be able to continue the lineage. Okay, we are in from Lakewood. So the one who spoke from Lakewood, you're not alone. We're also from Lakewood. I come from very insensitive Russian Bukharian community about this particular issues. I'm sick of answering questions. How many years are you married? When are you having kids? Why don't you have kids? When I give an answer, they go on with the weirdest suggestions. How do I handle this without being rude? And a lot of time, I want to be rude. The answer is as follows. 
If it's people who are more close to you and you can trust them, tell this to them. Say, you know, really, you mean well, but I really don't appreciate these questions. Just don't ask me about having kids and it's really not comfortable. And if it's people that you can't be open with, so then you just need to learn how to make boundaries, maybe spend less time with them, maybe don't get into these conversations. Or if it gets into these conversations, you could just say, you know, I really got to go now. Have a wonderful day. Don't lie. Don't say I have to go because I have an appointment by the shoemaker or I have a massage or I have a manicure. I have to go to a Dafyoy Don't lie. But just say I really have to go. Town now is not the right time. You have to be mature and you have to take responsibility for your life. Don't take responsibility for what other people say, but take responsibility for how you choose to respond to them. You know, if you they're saying the same comments again and again and they don't get it, either speak to them about it or stick around or stick around or, or maybe stay stick around other people or maybe spend less time with them. Or maybe when these conversations come up, just learn how to smile and say, I would really prefer not to talk about it. And maybe after a few times they get the message and if they don't get the message, maybe you just have to say, OK, I think I got to go now. We'll talk. Maybe then they'll get the message. If they still don't get the message, maybe you have to simply learn to understand that some people are flawed and they say the wrong things. And if you really can't deal with it, don't communicate with them. So it's really, you have to take responsibility for your piece and you cannot take responsibility for their piece. What they say, they say. How you choose to respond, this is where your maturity and understanding of the situation must come into play. I have lots of adorable nieces and nephews and kids being kids, they sometimes ask questions like, when are you going to have a baby? Are you a mommy? Why are you not a mommy? How should I answer them? Sometimes it's in front of other people that makes everyone uncomfortable. How can I answer in a chilled way that would make everyone feel less awkward and ease the atmosphere? Excellent question. You could be pretty honest and humorous with the babies, with your nephews and nieces. And you could say, you know, every single baby is a miracle. You're a miracle. Your sister is a miracle. Your baby brother is a miracle. That miracle, Hashem did not yet give me. I'm hoping he's going to give it to me, but I did not yet have that miracle. And that's where you're explaining to your nephews and nieces not to take children for granted. It's a miracle. Birth is a miracle. A healthy birth is a double miracle. Fertility is a miracle. The whole process is a miracle. It's a biological miracle of the Rebbeinu Shalayla. And every baby is a miracle. So I think this is a very nice and charming and truthful way. You know, you're not going to start saying, oh, I have this problem, my husband has this problem, IVF, IVF procedures. But you say, you're a miracle, your sister is a miracle. This miracle yet didn't happen through me. And I hope it does. And then you can add, but you are also part of my miracle because you're my niece and I love you so much. And I think this is true. It's pachent, it's pachent, it's real, it's authentic. And the most important thing, it's not awkward and uncomfortable. It's honest and yet it's sensitive. Regarding your point to look yourself to look yourself up and not look at yourself as a leader, not as a victim. I want to tell you, somebody said this about COVID-19. Corona is so microscopic, likely feels miserable and depressed. Little does he know that the world is turning over with him. So we are at times, we feel down and in misery. Little do we know how important we are in heaven. Meaning, <laughs> wow, very good. The coronavirus looks at himself via garnish, mit garnish, mit garnish. Nobody even knows him, right? Nobody even sees him. At Ibegedre de Gansevelt. 
So you're saying, sometimes you look at yourself as so small, nobody even notices you, but you can turn over the whole world. That's beautiful. Okay, somebody says here, when people ask me, when are you going to have a child, or why don't you have a child? I always answer the same answer. I tell them, Davin to Hashem for me. Okay, that's a that's a beautiful, beautiful answer. 10.32, so many questions are coming in. Wow, wow, wow. Okay, should we take another few? Should we take another few? I volunteer. I volunteered for an organization now to help families in isolation to do their shopping. That's beautiful. Sometimes I do ninety percent of the shopping. Ninety percent of the shopping I made was for baby essentials. Is Hashem trying to show me that I shouldn't volunteer because I'm shopping for a baby? I don't. I don't see it that way. On the contrary, I think you know we're all one people and the fact that you are helping all these mothers and fathers to be able to feed and give their children what they have to give is a tremendous tremendous thing that you're doing and and I think it's beautiful it's amazing it's so inspiring what you're doing I don't think there's a message at all on the contrary I would say that this itself is such a schus and such an opportunity to open up the heichel of children hopefully for yourself my dearest, dearest friends, I know there are some other questions, but we also have to have a certain limit. So I want to share with you and send you my deepest love and my deepest blessings and my deepest prayers. Hashem Yemali Mishalis Lavavchem Lotaiva Valivracha, Betaiva Nireva Nigla, Varikaisi Lachem Bracha, Adbli Dai, Achayivlus, if say Sechem Eloimar Dai, may you, your spouses, be blessed with Bracha and Hatzlocha, Arichis Yomim Vishanim Toivis with children and the fulfillment of all your heart's desires in good health. Everything should go easy and smooth. We should hear psuris toivas from you, bekar of mamish and betoiva nirva And may this coronavirus and crisis be transformed in every one of your lives to become and open yourselves up to a new dawn of Yeshua, of bracha and atzlocha and nechama. And may all of us and all of Klal Yisrael and the whole world Experiencing a new morn, experience a new morning, morning of healing, of psuris toivis, of a new consciousness, of oneness, oneness with ourselves, oneness with oneness with each other, oneness with humanity, oneness oneness with the Jewish people, oneness with the world, and oneness with Hashem, and to experience because of the dawn of a geula shleima b'mehera b'yamenu, amen v'yamen. Thank you very very much, and have a good night. Bracha v'hatzlocha. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.